You are listening to the episode 9 of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Belay, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Are you at a point in life where you are looking for more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead the movement to change the world? Let's have a chat. Go to www.francinebelay.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast and click on request a call button for more information. Today, I'm discussing with Suki Fula, an analytical storyteller, competitive and strategic intelligent professional. She is a global speaker, an advisor and a mentor. Suki is sought for her experience in the early adoption of emergent technology and ability to translate the quantitative into qualitative insight. So she is also an advisor and board member, investor, and an LED to several startups. And she was named one of the 30 change makers for London Tech Week 2018 and one of the Computer Weekly Most Influential Women in UK IT 2018, five rising star. So I've known Suki for, I think, five years now as a fellow Tech London advocate. And I might say that she is a brilliant mind who has inspired me straight away. I've invited her on the show to share her wisdom and what she's learned on her journey to do meaningful work and live a meaningful life. In our conversation, Suki shared how she navigated her way to become the analytical storyteller that she is today uh, and helping organizations to make better decisions with competitive intelligence. She also tell me how being fired from a high-flying job was the best thing that happened to her, but also she talked about how her childhood developed her character, the worldview, and her insatiable curiosity. So she also offers a very useful framework, the three A's that she uses with clients that you can also use to accomplish your goal faster. We also discussed, uh, among others, how to set healthy boundaries online and make informed choice when using social media and online tools. So Suki believes that we can't tell people what they want to hear, but instead tell them the truth. She always looks at the morality, the ethic, and the empathy behind technology. So you will find this open and honest conversation very, very refreshing and most of all inspiring as Suki shares great insights and practical tips to do what matters. Now, Let's dive in. So, Suki, welcome to this show. Thank you very much, Francine. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Okay, good. So, you are an analytical storyteller, as I was saying, um, and um, a speaker, advisor, and a mentor. Tell me what is an analytical storyteller. No, no. <laughs> um, so I always tell people that I tell the story of data and I do two things. I marry the quantitative aspects to the qualitative. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I help tell the story of how that information becomes data and then translates it so that people who um, are not so very quantitatively um, really defined in what they do. So if they're a stakeholder, um, a leader, the business leader, or just somebody who's not an analyst, they can understand it. Mm, Okay. So who do you work with then? Who are the kind of people that need an analytical storyteller? So generally, um, there are lots of different departments in companies that need somebody like me, because at the core of it is the competitive 
of intelligence aspect. Mm -hmm. So I could be working with a marketing department and they need to know about somebody else's campaign. And usually you'll have people on a marketing team that are very uh, qualitative. So they really do understand the visual. They understand the, the visuals of data, but they don't really understand the actual data mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're really good at the pretty charts yeah. um sometimes you have and on those teams you have people that can you know do tableau they can put the data in there they can look at the charts but they have no way of explaining that to the top executives of the company mm -hmm. they just know this is what it looks like this is how it, it should be and they can say, well, look, you can see here where we started out and we were doing this advertising campaign and we got all this great marketing budget and we put the money in and all the numbers went up. So, you know, people were clicking on our ads, blah, 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 blah. But they're just speaking mm. and they're not really able to translate how that will work for the overall business. Mm -hmm. They're just looking at it based on their one sector. And a lot of people do that. They're only looking at their their one department. They're not looking holistically or strategically at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. I'm able to come in, take all those little disparate pieces from each department, you know, and, and translate it so that it all comes together in one bigger picture. Wow, that's as powerful. Yeah, cool. Uh, so now let's talk about uh, our first uh, section of the podcast, which is meaningful work and meaningful life. So you say that your life mission is to elevate humanity and being of service to others. And technology is the conduit that you use for that. So tell me, what is your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life? <laughs> I think... <laughs> That uh, my definition right there is my uh, my mission. Um, so meaningful work and meaningful life. I, I would say that meaningful life is at the top of that. Mm -hmm. It's just like when people say work-life balance, I always consider that sort mm -hmm. of a misleading term mm -hmm. because without your life being meaningful, I, I always think everything else doesn't really matter because they all make up parts of your life. So meaningful life, I believe is if you're helping people for me, that's why I say my, my mission is to elevate humanity. Mm -hmm. So that for me is a meaningful life. It's doing things that are positive that are helping people have better lives, um, making sure that the world is better than when I left it. My little piece in this world is to make sure that when I came into the world, yeah, I started out as a child. I was, you know, pretty decent, good human being. I'd hope so. Hope I wasn't <laughs> a devil child. But, <laughs> but as I got older, that everything I did in my life was better. Every day I became a better person. I helped more people. I contributed to the world in a positive manner. So that for me is a meaningful life. And knowing at the end of it that I can say that I wasn't, you know, plus or a negative minus number or something I was you know plus a hundred percent of where I was when I was born mm -hmm. that for me and meaningful work is making sure that whatever I'm doing in my professional life is reflective of what I want my life to mean mm, yeah no that's great and for you that is um, also you use technology a lot for making that happen can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about how you use technology sometime to make that, you know, meaningful uh, work and live a meaningful life? I was, there is sort of this little movement where people that are very successful in tech don't allow their children or, or their family members to use technology. They kind of limit their children using mobile phones and being online. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a matter of, really limiting them because of the negative impacts that it might have. I think it's a matter of knowing how moderation should be. Mm. And unfortunately, I think if you are in society and you have access to everything, you should be able to use them in moderation yep. to make sure you're getting the benefit of them and not be excessive. Mm -hmm. And whereas if you don't have access to things, I think you should have the ability to at least be able to explore how you can become better, how you can 
have a better life. But if you're not given the options and if you're you know, constantly told that you don't have them, mm. I, I, I that's the one thing I'm just grappling with, the inequality mm. and the gap between people that have and people that don't have. Mm. So with regards to technology, I always look at the morality, mm. the ethics, mm. the empathy behind technology. And for me, when I'm using technology, I'm always looking at who wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing like knowing the inherent bias of something you're using. Mm. Um, so, you know, everybody thinks that your basic program is, you know, oh, it's just numbers. But as always, it's a matter of who put those numbers in, because that's yeah. going to be based on your mindset. Mm. So I do use a lot of technology. As a Tableau is probably one of my favorite pieces um, of technology, but it, it really is, you know, making sure you're using your social media correctly. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, it is about connecting the numbers with the people. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a preference for video. <laughs> yeah. I have a preference for face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. but I think using technology, is it's about searching out those people, but I think we're going to probably discuss that a little bit later, mm -hmm. <laughs> searching out those people in order to make sure that you can find people to enhance your knowledge about technology. Yeah, no, that's great, yes. And what you say about technology and using technology and the ethic of technology, I think that we've reached a point today where everybody is really asking themselves this question. It's not about limiting or banning anybody to leave technology, but how to use that, how to enhance the positivity, because as far as human has been on this planet, you know, when they get together, you can get the best out of somebody or you can get the worst so how you use technology to enhance that positivity actually is really important actually so tell me when did you realize who you are and what you are meant to do in life i still haven't figured that out <laughs> a lot of people tell me that <laughs> i'll let you know two seconds before i die <laughs> um, um I think I've, I think it's, I've always, maybe I've always known who I am. Because mm. uh, I was having a conversation last week, actually, and, and somebody asked me, you know, when did you, when did you realize, you know, I think it was something about my name. Mm. And I said, I think your name sometimes forms who you are, mm -hmm. especially when you have a name that's different. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, when I was younger, you know, I used to get teased about my name. You know, there was a nursery rhyme with my name in it. <laughs> you know, there's songs with my name, but my name's different. Mm -hmm. And so I think that formed the basis of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. So even as a young child, I knew I was different. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's different as in bad or different as in good. I just think I just, it made me realize that everybody's different, but I'm different. Mm. And whatever I'm supposed to do in life is never, it's not going to be in a box. Mm. I will be different. Yeah. I'm always, as I said, when I was, just, I always tell people I'm an outlier of outliers mm. to be who I am in the professions that I've been in. You know, the constant theme has always been I'm, I'm an anomaly, but to me, I don't feel like an, I'm an anomaly. I just yeah. think I'm me. Mm -hmm. And as for what I meant to do in life, I've, I've always known I'm supposed to help people. Mm -hmm. I haven't always been able to figure out how exactly, but I think I'm probably now in that state of my life where I know that I'm, as I would say, technology is a conduit. I know that because I am, where I am at this point in my life and technology has come to where it is, mm -hmm. that technology is that avenue to how I help people. Yeah. It's the tool that I use to help people, to help people be better, to help people figure out what they want to do. And also just to help 
others better their lives. Mm, yeah, no, that's great. So what, what is one of your toughest moments, some, a toughest moment that you've encountered in your life that actually became a blessing in disguise? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working for a consulting company and I got fired. <laughs> that that's the best moment I tell you when it happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I I have to say I did speak about this in in another interview that I did once and um, earlier this year, and um, it really made me think about it. And I have been thinking about it a lot recently because I, when I was interviewed for the position. Mm-hmm. I went and I had all these round tables with all the execs, people in the company. I mean, it was a good, hard process to get this job. And I didn't have a PhD. I didn't have an MD. Everybody in the company had one. It was pharmaceutical consulting, competitive intelligence. Everybody had one. I was the only person they had ever interviewed that was not in the medical field in some way, shape or form with an MD, a PhD, or even an MBA at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm never going to get this job. And then when I had done all those interviews, they had me do an interview and with uh, all the senior VPs. And of all the VPs, there was one in particular that I did not like. <laughs> and that, that was the VP when I got hired. He was the one that I was on his team. And I knew, I positively knew that when I got that job, that it was not going to end well when they put me on his team because I didn't like him and I, he didn't like me. And I always think back to that, like, why was I put on his team? And I think most of the time it's, you know, I spoke to my old manager I'm still friends with him and and he said to me he said it's because you know everybody had to go it was like this trial by fire it's like if you could work with him you know and I was like yeah but he didn't like me he says you know why he didn't like you (laughs) I said why he says because you had no experience in this field you had no experience in the whole medical or pharmaceutical industry he said but you walked in the door and you bossed it He's like, you walked in the door and you got it right. You boots on the ground. First day of my, my position, they sent me to a pharmaceutical conference. The ADA is the American Diabetes Association. It is the largest diabetes medical conference in the world. Mm-hmm. That was the first day on the job. He, I got into the office and he said, oh yeah, here, by the way, you're going to this. <laughs> here's your train ticket you need to leave uh now go home pack your bag you're going mm-hmm. and they sent me to that I was so green but I was just like I'm not gonna fail <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was tough when I look back to how that ended because basically it was because ever since that first day I was not afraid to be the person to say something opposite to him. Everybody else used to defer to him in meetings. You know, if he said, this is what, you know, the client wants, this is what we're going to give them. And from my training, I knew that that's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to, yeah, this is what the client wants. But if what we're finding out is not what the client wants to hear, we still have to let them know that's our duty. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the ethics around intelligence, especially around competitive intelligence. You can't tell people what they want to hear. Mm. You have to tell people the truth. You have to tell people the facts. And if it's not what they want to hear, um, sorry, but even if you are paying us, we have to do, we have a duty of care and that's to tell you what is the truth. Mm. And um, that's the one biggest issue I had is that it ended up being a blessing in disguise for me because when I got fired, I realized I spent a good many years saying what well, people didn't want to hear, but was the facts. And yeah, I got fired. I was, you know, pff, devastated. Not for too long, though. 
Mm. I think it was a blow. It was a blow to the professional ego. Mm. But at the same time, if I hadn't gotten fired, I would never have gone to work for the next consulting company. I would never have. Um, I would never have joined Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the last conference I went to with that company was in um, in Austin, and um, I went to visit my brother in San Antonio, and that's when South by Southwest was going on, mm-hmm. and I happened to stumble into the Twitter launch party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of steal a wristband. <laughs> What's all these people doing in Austin at this time? Mm. <laughs> Let me go into this party. And and because of that party, um, and I'd already been reading blogs and sort of doing all that stuff, you know, LinkedIn existed, you know. So I was already doing sort of the social media sort of online stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of that event and then coming back to the East Coast, um, I got more involved in social media and I got more involved into that New York tech scene. Mm. And then in 2007, when I actually joined, I said, okay, I'm going to join this Twitter thing. Mm -hmm. And I joined, I met more people. Mm -hmm. And had that not happened, me being on that last sort of stretch of being in that company and going on my, you know, my, I think it was a two-day workshop that I went to in, in Austin. I can't even remember. Don't remember very much about the why. I remember just visiting my brother and um, and the Twitter event. Yeah. And yeah. that that was a pivotal moment because had that not happened, I probably would not have gotten involved in sort of the tech social media world, mm-hmm. which really sort of burgeoned my interest more because – when I came back to New York and, you know, was in the East coast, I met all kinds of people. That's where I met a lot of my friends that are people that worked on the early days of Twitter that worked at LinkedIn back in the day um, that, you know, went to work at places like Yammer and, you know, and Radian six and all of those things. None of that would have ever happened had I not been fired or not, I've been on the demise, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, the, but that, that really, the firing really then sort of pushed me to do, okay, you know what? I'm going to be doing this tech thing more in my social life. Yeah. And yeah. I would never have gone to China and I never would have ended up back in the UK. Mm. That's, that's so fabulous. Yes, exactly. To hear how uh, an experience sometimes we always, when we are in the moment, we don't understand or we are upset about the moment, but sometimes that can be our bless, blessing and something very big for, you know, our life, really. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me. You. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you all met me. Can you believe that? Not meeting me. tell me when you look back at your childhood how has it prepared you to be who you are today so um there's my name being different Mm -hmm. um being the oldest grandchild on my mother's side Mm um and being the only girl grandchild for a good many hours, I, when I was like seven, six or seven, I think, I think it was, yeah, seven before the, the first other girl mm-hmm. of the cousins was born. Mm-hmm. So I was the only girl for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you have um, boy cousins and brothers and pretty much most of your mother's friends, your parents' friends have boys. Um, <laughs> you're always going to be that one that when they play football, you have to be the goalkeeper. And that's just because they want to kick the ball at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you get to, you sort of get to develop the, I, I wouldn't say it's, I say, yeah, it would be strength, but also just a little bit more of a character of knowing how to hold your own sometimes. Mm-hmm. And my parents, liking to travel Mm. and so that's what's made me continually 
want to travel continually need to travel you know like I carry my passport in my bag daily (laughs) (laughs) um so it's always given me that um I'd say worldview Mm. of everything that I do Mm -hmm. um sort of the strength of my I wouldn't say yeah maybe it is the strength of my character um my ability, I guess, to take some hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Although there have been some times when it's knocked and it felt like, oh my gosh, that's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, my insatiable curiosity mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. I read mm-hmm. a little bit too much. I'd say that's probably when I am my very least being social. Yeah. Is that I like to read. And when I am in reading mode, I want to talk to anybody. Hmm. I mean, there have been times when I, for a good many years, I didn't even own a television because, (laughs) and now I do, I don't actually watch the television. I actually use it to, um, well, connect my laptop to so I can have a bigger screen. (laughs) Bigger screen. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So tell me, what is your superpower, would you say? Oh, um... I'm, oh, I, I don't, I'd say maybe it's my, my ability to connect people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do that pretty well, right? So yeah, I'm a connector. Yeah. You're a connector. I think that that's, that's a bigger thing. Yes, exactly. Can you tell me more about that, that, that connect, connect a bit? and what actually you really do really well? I would say I have this um, ability that when I am, when I meet somebody. So recently I was at an event and um, someone had reached out to me before the event to say, oh, they were coming to the event and they knew that I was gonna be busy because I was speaking, but they wanted to connect with me before. And I said, well, at the event, just come say hello. Mm. And so at the event, I was looking, I just kind of kept my eye out for this person because I had the feeling from their message that were somewhat shy mm-hmm. and I didn't see them. And at the very end of the event, I mean, I'm putting on my coat <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this and this, this young girl walks over to me and, and says, hi, you know, like I, I, I sent you a message and I was like, where have you been this whole event? I, there were so many people here that I wanted to, you know, to introduce you to that were in your, that are in your field. And she says, yeah, I, I just, I didn't want to come over cause you seem like you were busy. And I was like, what did I tell you in that message? <laughs> she says, oh, I, I know. So I said, she goes, oh, I just wanted to talk to you. And I said, okay. I said, I have to go because I'm not going to get home till like 11 o'clock at this point in time. Mm. And I said, but, you know, walk and talk with me. So we were walking and and talking and there were a bunch of other people still left at the event. And there were two or three people there that I knew this, this you know, this young lady had should meet. So I also knew she was kind of, you know, shy but I sort of said oh you know there's some people here that uh, I'm going to be walking with also do you mind and and she was like oh okay you know and I introduced her and then just weaved into the conversation you know what she did you know that she was a coder what she did what what languages she was working on and you know and these people worked for these companies and you know and weave that in because she would have probably just introduced herself with her name and would not have ever told them what they done that what she did even though you know they worked for big tech corporations she would have just been like oh hi she would never have not so much selling herself but just introducing herself and and letting them know her skill set she wouldn't have networked in that way yeah she would have just said her name mm-hmm. so i just connected her afterwards of course she didn't send them messages because <laughs> she's just like oh why would they want to speak to me mm. <laughs> and so then I just said you know what hey we're gonna go we're gonna um, have some coffee and I met up with her but I made a point of also making sure that one of those two other people that I had introduced her to was also 
were going to be meeting with me at an adjacent time Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that their paths would cross over. And I would be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just have to step out for a minute. And I got them to, got her to connect with them. But sometimes it's really hard because it's easy to do when people are very outgoing, very extroverted. They have that attitude where they're like, yeah, I can talk to anybody. But when people are not that extroverted, they are very, very shy. They're not very confident in their ability. One, their professional abilities. They think that, oh, you know, there are people that can do that better than me, or they're just not very confident in how to talk to other people. Then those are the people that I really like to help Mm. because the other ones, they will get by. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they can get by just, you know, blagging their way. Mm. And then there are people that just don't have that. They don't have that ability. They don't have that. I wouldn't say it's an Yeah, it is an ability. They don't have that confidence to do it, even though they are probably the most skilled person. They just, they just don't have it. And so those are the ones I really like to help just to say, hey, you know what? You're good at what you do. You know, you're just not the loudest telling everybody that you can do it. Hmm. And for those who are listening to us who might be in this case and you never cross their path, how can they be more, you know, outgoing when they go and connect, you know, to, with some people in their field? Can you give them a quick tip? I, w- I wouldn't say it's a matter of being outgoing. It's a matter of probably having more structure. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I know I I lack structure in some of the things I do. Mm-hmm. Actually, I always tell people um, uh, I'm a linky brain, and it's the fact that I can focus on a a bunch of different things. But when it comes down to focusing on one thing in particular, I have to have structure. Mm-hmm. So, but if you give me too much structure, I'm not authentic. Yeah. So yeah. I need some sort of framework. It can't be completely unstructured because mm. um, that's pretty much my brain. <laughs> but it, it needs to have some sort of framework. Yeah. And so when yeah. people I speak with that really need to be not so much outgoing, I say have a framework in mind mm. of what you want to accomplish. So it's, um, you know, what do you expect to achieve from that? You know, what's the outcome? And what's your process? Yeah, and so it's it's just like, okay, at the end of that, I want to, you go to an event, I want to meet, you know, three people and I need two of them to be doing this particular job or in this particular sector. So you look at the schedule of the events. Okay, and this is the networking time. I need to identify those three of those people and at least be able to talk to two of them, or even if it's just one, no. And if I get their contact details, that's that's such a pure win. So it's like the awareness of what you want to do. I would say I have my three A's, the awareness, the advocacy, and the action. So there's the awareness of what you want to do. And the advocacy is a part of you going, okay, this is what I need to do to get there, sort of, um, it's like a check, a cross check of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the action part is making it happen. And sometimes the action part is the easiest part. The hardest part sometimes is the awareness. It's the beginning. It's that first step of what do you want to achieve? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I love your three is actually awareness, advocacy, and action. And that just leads nicely to the next question I wanted to ask you. For anybody who is listening now who doesn't have a meaningful work, and how can they transition from something that they see as a mundane job to find something more meaningful? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a big question, right? But a few, <laughs> few tips that you can share. <laughs> As I was just saying, awareness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems that that framework do apply as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that is um, that is pretty much the framework that I have. I didn't realize before mm-hmm. that that was a framework that I have been sort of living and practicing for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
And so it is knowing, you know, when I when I first started out, I had this really weird sort of, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a chemical engineer, you know. The first thing I ever wanted to be was an archaeologist. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, and that was just because I, I absolutely love history. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love travel. So geography was one of my favorite subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, I love travel. I love um, history. And I <laughs> love adventure. <laughs> so and as I always tell people Indiana Jones that was like one of my like oh I want to be Indiana Jones but I also wanted to be like Pryro and I always wanted to be like James Bond it's like (laughs) but I didn't want to just be James Bond I want to be James Bond Q and M so and I always tell people that I wanted I just so when I first started out I always knew that if I had some sort of mundane job, that um, it, it was never going to work. <laughs> and for me, being starting out in the chemical engineering, being in the lab, that kind of was a little mundane to me because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was really giving anything. I mean, when you're electroplating metal pieces that are going to go on airplanes or on weapons, yeah, we did that. Um, <laughs> Um, on the side of Harley Davidson motorcycles. Yeah, that's really great. But at the same time, you're not really doing anything meaningful. I, I didn't feel, feel like you. Yeah, you are. You're making things pretty for people. Mm. You're making them safer. But at the same time, um, I knew it wasn't meaningful in the way that I wanted to be. Mm. I wanted to have a direct impact on people. Yeah, I want to see... I want to see them have a start point and do something and see the end point. Mm-hmm. And even if I don't see the end point, I want to see that growth. Mm-hmm. For me, the best feeling in the world is to see somebody grow mm-hmm. and to see the realization when they look back and they say, that's where I started. This is where I am. Imagine where I could be. Yeah. And so I guess a, a few practical steps, as I would say, my three A's, yeah. awareness. and so in awareness, it is widening your social circle and your professional circle, mm-hmm. widening your network. And a lot of people say, you know, how do you do that? It's, it's being open to the possibilities of meeting people, serendipity. Mm-hmm. And I have this thing where much as I'm linked to a lot of really great people that read really interesting things, doesn't always interest me. And so I'm the queen of opening up a, a search page and I use a bunch of different browsers. So don't use the same uh, web browsers. I use a combination of Firefox, Chrome, Internet Explorer. Um, so I'm using Bing, I'm using um, DuckDuckGo, I'm using all different search engines mm-hmm. and I will just typing some random words and it's just just words that have significance in the things that interest me mm. so i think recently i typed in um <laughs> oh sorry blockchain <laughs> yeah the buzzwords <laughs> oh no no it was uh, blockchain mm. um empathy mm. and um emerging markets mm-hmm. And, you know, I just came up with just you look at the search results from different web browsers Mm. and you will find different things to read. Mm. But if you use the same web browser all the time, the same search engine, it's going to basically (laughs) algorithm you out and you're going to get the same things over and over again. But if you use a combination, you'll get to find different things to read. Yeah. Um, For me, I also like to just randomly go into bookshops where they exist, (laughs) go to the library, um, read different magazines. Um, I like, I read anything. Like if I see something and it looks like, oh my gosh, this is complete rubbish. 
I'll read it just because it has a different perspective. Doesn't mean that it forms your opinion, but it at least gives you a different perspective because perspective is really how you get to grow your mind to fire those gray sails. Because if you if you don't, you're just going to be thinking the same thing, and then there's no growth. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's about the awareness. Um, going to different events if you can. Don't always go to an event because your friend is going. Sometimes you have to make yourself, and I hate the phrase, but it's so true. You have to make yourself uncomfortable, mm. you know, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And for me, I'm, I can say I'm never really truly uncomfortable. <laughs> Even in some really dire situations when people are like, I would be quaking in my boots. I'm always of the mindset, you know what? Um, it is what it is. And if you're comfortable with the fact that you will have to be uncomfortable, you're not really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's just about being aware and knowing that there's a different perspective for people that are in the room. Mm-hmm. So, and as for another practical step, Uh, around the advocacy it really is about making sure that you can listen to what's going on so a practical step is making sure when you are in those places that are different from where you would normally be listen and learn the best thing you can do at a situation like that is listen to what's going on around you and learn from what you're hearing Because as they always say, you have one mouth and two ears. And when you're in a place where you are not familiar with the people in the room, what's being said in the room, the only way that you're going to be able to make a difference in the future is if you understand and you really are learning from what's going on in the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then action is when you are in those situations where you are feeling uncomfortable Sometimes the action is not to, I don't know, I would say not to react negatively or because sometimes you do get really, you, sometimes you feel angry that you've been putting that situation. But I always say channel that anger into an action that's going to be positive for you and positive for those around you. Because anger has a lot of power, but when you can channel that anger and change that anger into something good, it's even more powerful. That's so great. if you can change that, yeah, channel that anger and make it something, you know, turn it into love, that's even more powerful. Mm, that's great. Now it's time to talk about money. Um, Sometimes we want to make something that we are really passionate about, uh, but it doesn't pay well. How can we do both what we love and get paid for it? I would like <laughs> to hear your perspective on this. <laughs> um, I'm still working this one out. Mm. <laughs> um, so I really love mentoring. Mm. And I, for some reason, there are people that say they're mentors and they get paid for it. But I've always felt like mentoring isn't something you should get paid for. I think coaching, yes, because there's a, a clearly defined outcome. I think with most coaches, you know, you say you want to achieve something. But um, with mentoring, it's really about helping somebody on their journey. And there's no real definition of what's at the end. It's about the growth without sort of defining what that growth is going to look like. At least that's my my thought process behind it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have to figure out that middle ground because there are some people that, for me, I believe with mentoring, you need to, there has to be a sort of a symbiosis of, uh, of the relationship. It's not a give give, give. It's a give and a take. The two people that are in that relationship of being a mentor and a mentee, you're learning from each other. Um, whereas I think if you're a coach, you're helping somebody. It's not so much you're learning from them, although you are, 
I think it's really, it, it's a more transactional. I always feel that's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could be wrong, but everybody defines it their own way. But yeah. Um, yeah. so I haven't figured out how to really do something that I love like mentoring and get paid for it still still can't quite figure that out um but um as for something that you may want to do and you find passionate I would say research (laughs) um and it's not so much researching people that have done it because I think everybody's path is different. We all know that everybody's path is different and it's hard to study somebody and to think that what they've done, what they do and how they've done it is gonna work for you. I think that's probably the biggest issue within the tech world is that people think, oh, well, you know, if, if this entrepreneur, you know, did it this way, you know, they quit their job, they worked, you know, 90 hours a week and, you know, and they stayed up till three o'clock in the morning working on their product and they grounded out and then they went out and they got funding, then I can do this. And it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. And um, so for me, I'm, I'm still actually working out how to how to get paid (laughs) for that thing that I'm passionate about, but I feel like I don't want to charge people for it. So yeah, I could get paid well to be a mentor, but I I have not quite grappled out how to, I just feel like it's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Actually that, that, that is the exact reason why I'm asking this question because People feel that what they are passionate about and what they love should be an act of love and not being paid. So this is the exact reason why I'm asking, how can you do both? Because if you love something, um, is it not a you know, possibility to get paid of it? Or yeah, I know that is a dilemma and is, uh, is about perspective and, you know, and that's, that's exactly why I asked this question, because it's not an easy answer, actually. It, no, it, it no. isn't. I mean, there are there are three things, um, and maybe I will have launched my website by the time you launch this, uh, <laughs> you've launched this podcast, maybe. Um, but there are three areas that I, I focus on, and there's speaking, which I believe is where you challenge and embrace different ideas and different thoughts Mm. and that's to raise awareness and then there's mentoring which is to listen and acknowledge and that's where you're listening to people you're helping them do what they want to do find that path and acknowledge how they want to do it and that's the advocacy piece Mm. and then there's my advisory arm which is where I connect and help people manage what they want to do and um, take action Mm. And so, and those all fit within my three A's are definitely three. That's my framework for what I do. Mm-hmm. And those are based on also being past, present and future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I say, the past is all about the awareness issue, mm-hmm. being aware of what you've done in the past, being aware of, you know, how those things can form what you do in the present, which is your advocacy. That's you now. That's how you are making the idea, making the issue, um, listening to what's going on at present and acknowledging it. And then there's the future and that's what you're going to do to change that or to amplify it or to help people connect around it. And the thing that I have problems with, not problems, issues, um, the hardest part for me, the speaking is very easy. Mm -hmm. The advisory (laughs) stuff, eh, that's, that's easy. It's not my, (laughs) and, but the, the present, the mentoring, the advocacy is very easy, but it's the thing that I have the trouble with getting paid. Mm. And it's the thing that I'm probably the most passionate about is the advocacy, Mm. the advocacy of people that need assistance, the advocacy of helping those less fortunate, because I think it's something probably around the fact that we always feel that when we are 
advocating, we shouldn't be getting paid for it. It should be, it's, it's considered charity work. Yeah. Even when it isn't, even when you're helping somebody, you know, build their business or whatever you, you just feel like, ah, yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's yeah, probably yeah, that, the, the one that everybody has probably hashed about with when they're spoken to you. Yeah, that I think that that's actually why social entrepreneurs actually also get um, quite a big issue because most of their work is around this advocacy, you know, you know, uh, you know, section. And this is where they are really most passionate about is to make an impact, but actually is a business. How do you get paid? helping other people <laughs> so perhaps if it's not the people themselves who pay you who else can pay you actually for that exactly yeah that's good thank you for your perspective i love that and i love your honesty as well for that now we are coming to the last section of our conversation which is building a movement and i love this saying saying don't start a company start a movement what do you think about that do you say that you are starting a company or a movement yourself I don't say either. <laughs> Tell me more. I, I, I don't think I've ever said either. I think I've just done. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, right now, I, I guess, started the movement, um, uh, the 50-50 pledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about getting more women into VC. And that's with uh, Chris Tottenham from Notion. And it's... I guess it, it is a movement, but I never really thought about it like that. Because mm-hmm. um, when people ask me, I just say 50-50 pledge. I don't go 50-50 pledge of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and um, it wasn't so much about starting a movement. I would say it was more about making people understand i mean we see there are lots of different initiatives programs movements around helping female entrepreneurs um about making sure that more female founders get opportunities making sure that people of color get more opportunities um you know within the startup scene but a lot of those movements or initiatives always seem to start from helping the female founders, helping the people of color founders, helping those entrepreneurs. And I would say that would be from one end. That's helping them have more opportunities, more accessibility. But then there's the other end, which not very many people ever think about. And that's making sure that the people that they are going to those opportunities for look more like them. Yeah. And that's essentially why it hasn't changed. You know, that we all see the numbers that, you know, there are all these female founders, all these entrepreneurs that are, you know, pitching, twice as many of them pitching, they're getting through the door, they're pitching, but they're still not getting funded. And it really comes down to the fact that the people that are writing the checks haven't changed. Mm -hmm. So for us, you know, it, it was a matter of the people at the top need to change you can have as many people at the bottom, uh, I hate using the term bottom and top, but you can have as many people coming in the door that are different. But if the people that are opening the door are still the same, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Mm. And so when people ask me, you know, are you starting a company or starting a movement? I guess it would be starting a movement. Everything I've done has always been, starting a movement (laughs) but I don't I don't I don't ever say start a movement Mm -hmm. I always say I'm just doing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I'm just doing and if it ends up being a company or it ends up being a movement then you know whatever but uh, it's just a matter of do Mm. okay so talking about do what do you want to be remembered for now helping others I I really do. It would be about helping others, making sure that at the, um, that I helped as many people as possible be as best as they can be. Yeah, that's good. So if you have to relive your life again, knowing what you know now, what would you do and what would you no longer do? 
Um, hmm. <laughs> what would I no longer do? Um, hmm. Oh, that's a double-edged sword because I think um, it, it comes down to one word mm -hmm. and it comes down to trust. Mm -hmm. So there would be people that I would trust more, mm -hmm. trust more to help me um, professionally, trust more to help me personally, uh, emotionally, mentally, and trust more to really um, to guide me. Mm. And on the same flip side, I, there were the people that I would, wouldn't trust that I look back and I realize I trusted them and they were not, they were not positive. I trusted, I trusted some people that really were not very good that were not very helpful, that were very manipulative, that used that trust in a way to manipulate me in, that, that they, they hurt, they hurt. They were just not, so I, I would say it comes down to that, that word and there were people that, yeah, that I trusted that I shouldn't have trusted. And there are people that I should have trusted that I didn't as much. Yeah. But how would you make that difference though? How would you be able to tell now who to trust and who not to trust? Uh, I think that's a, that's a, not a struggle. That's just an issue every day. Mm. But I think as, as I've gotten older, I look back to when I was, a child mm -hmm. and I would say children children are so intuitive mm. there's a there's a level of innate understanding of people that children really young children have and I'm saying before they really have big social structures so children around the age of like three and younger mm they can generally tell when somebody is, is trustworthy. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's really weird. You know, I would say that when it's not a matter of kids crying, mm. there's, there's something that people that, that children can tell. Mm. It's like a baby, a young child will, will be held by somebody and even if they're crying, it's not like a crying to because they they don't like that person. Sometimes it's just the crying because they're hungry, their diapers wet or whatever. But you can generally tell when a baby does not like somebody just because they feel something or they feel there's a lack of something from that person. Mm -hmm. Even if that person and sometimes a baby's crying and it's because not because they feel like that person's bad it can just be that they feel like that person just doesn't understand mm. but I, I can't explain it it's just this really weird it's just this really weird thing I think back in my life and I think back to when I was a child and there were people that as a child I just felt like mm, there's something just not right about you <laughs> and and even though they're uh, you know, as I've gotten older and it's been, you know, friends of the family or people in my family, I'm like, wow, I was really, I really got a good read on you when I was younger. <laughs> and and I, I, I think back to that and I think there were times in my life when I should have gone with the gut mm. and I didn't. And as I got older, I started to go more with my head mm. I started to ignore my gut. And I think of all those people that I trusted that I should not, and that hurt me the worst mm. is when I didn't trust my gut and I went with my head because I was trying to be more analytical about it. Mm. And I think that for me and my personality in the way that I am, as I said, I'm an analytical storyteller. And for me, it is about the adding the data, you know, the qualitative and the quantitative. Mm. That is the core of who I am. 
it's the core of what I do. And when I forget that and I try to go with one or the other, that's when it doesn't add up. And there have been times when I felt like I've gone more with the data and that's when it's been bad. And sometimes I've gone more with the with the lack of data and that's when it's been bad. And it's when I put the two together, that's when I'm the strongest. Okay. And so I look back yeah. on my life and that's where I need to, I know that when it comes down to the trust, I need to weigh it up emotionally and also sort of unemotionally. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we are coming to the end of our conversation now. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you feel that people should know to live a really meaningful life and do meaningful work? I always tell people to be you. And I, I know that everybody says that all the time, you know, about being you, but it basically comes down to you can't be anybody else. Nobody owns that. Mm-hmm. Um at the end of your life you want to make sure that you look back and you go all right I I was all right the only thing I was ever expert at and I would say this to everybody all the time the only thing I'm ever an expert at is being me and even then I don't have the I don't have that 100% right because you should be learning every single day every single day every single minute you should be slightly better than you were the minute before mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter what you do it's like yeah you know I ate that macaroni and cheese I probably shouldn't have but I learned from that <laughs> and boy it tasted good <laughs> but at the end of your life you know you should look back and go I I was an expert at being me nobody else can be you mm, that's a beautiful ending words can you share some resources that our listeners should know about um, doing meaningful work and meaningful life Oh, <laughs> Some, something that has helped you before. Or... I am really, really bad when it comes to doing the, the recommendations because I read so much. Uh-huh. Um, so I can't, I could, of course, recommend your book. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Personal branding in the digital age. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really um, awesome. <laughs> I must say there are some things I've read recently that mm. I, I, I am a sucker for some business reading. I've got issues like that. Mm. Um, I do love um, most of the, the business books by Harvard Business Review. Okay. Mm. Um, side note, I am like a big friend of people at Harvard Business Review. Mm. Uh, I sat on a round table for them once. So disclaimer. And um so there have been some really great things that have come out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called Conscious Capitalism, oh, and it's okay. about how oh, you can, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still delving through that. Um, Timothy Henry is one of the writers that I met, and they actually, it's about how you still make money, and but you are very, uh, I wouldn't say philanthropic, but you are still very much aware of how you are making money to make sure you're doing the best things. So some of the methods that some of our larger tech companies should be aware of mm-hmm. that they're not doing. <laughs> uh, of course, there is our mutual friend, yeah. uh, uh, Jessica DiGilio. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The, the laws of the brand storytelling. Um, the new book, and that's yeah. Yes, and that's how you know how to win and and keep your customers. Yeah, you know, not just win and keep them, but their hearts and their minds. I think that uh, I haven't finished her book. I just got it, but um, I'm halfway through, and I, I must admit, yeah, I'm going to add both actually in the show notes. Actually, she's later. quite she's quite brilliant. Yeah. what's that? I'm going to add those notes, uh, those uh, reference in the show notes at the end. Awesome, and then there's um, a book by a guy named Dan Cable. Mm-hmm. Um, alive at work, mm-hmm. and it's the uh, the neuroscience of helping people love what they do. Mm-hmm. I think that's the tagline. Hell, let me see. I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the neuroscience of helping your people love what they do. Okay, good. Um, oh, I've got a whole stack. Are you kidding? I think, I I think that that's great, actually. But how can people reach you and learn more about what you do, actually? Um, so. Hopefully, yeah. I will have my website launched, which will be sukifuller.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I guess that 
kind of puts a timestamp, doesn't it? If I see exactly, so and then and otherwise, yeah. you also on uh, LinkedIn and um, uh, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Instagram. Although Instagram, I'm trying to I'm trying to be more photogenic with the things that I do, mm-hmm. um, but they're all Suki Fuller. Mm-hmm. So good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Suki, for your time and sharing your wisdom today. It was a great pleasure to have you here. Oh, well, thank you very much, Francine. I really enjoyed it. And of course, I always love speaking with you. Thank you for having me and letting me share my uh, very linky, sporadic, weird little mind. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. (laughs) The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast are available on my webpage, francinebelli.com slash podcast, that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E, B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared by Suki. Whilst you are there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a great review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me and help me know that it is serving people out there. See you next week for a brand new episode. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.